Hello, hello everyone. I'm Peter Resnick and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. We start as usual with show and tell. The other day I heard a quote which is attributed to J.K. Chesterton. When people stop believing in God, they believe in nothing. And then they can believe in anything. What do you think? Is it applicable to what's going on in America today? Well, what does statistics say? Research actually shows that 74% of Americans say that they believe in God. Just over half of all scientists in America, 51%, believe in some form of deity or higher power. Specifically, 33% of scientists say they believe in God, and 18% believe in universal spirit or higher power. Impressive, huh? So, when, why then it feels that in the last 10, 15 years, morality, values, uh, simply are dwindling, uh, disappearing, decency is disappearing. Something that people were ashamed of in the past now is a, a token of pride. Looting is okay. It's not even called looting. Some call it uh, reparations. If you deny that a man can menstruate, you are considered transphobic. And if you don't want to topple the statue of George Washington, you are racist, a racist in denial. And you better believe it. Otherwise, you are a white supremacist. And make sure you don't show up with your lectures on college campuses. Or you will be pushed and yelled at by mobsters in their righteous indignation. Because there were always really freedom fighters for freedom of speech, including. But now it's freedom to say what they know is right. And you will not be permitted to spread your lies and conspiracy theories. If a man exposes himself to a woman, he's arrested. But if a man is dressed as a woman, goes into a woman's bathroom and exposes his penis to a woman, and she complains, she can be arrested, or at least must be arrested according to the new and progressive way of thinking. So what about this 74% who say that they believe in God? Do they not know right from wrong? They do. And they are there. They exist. But they do not make news. They're quiet which gives the voice and power to those who are interested in breaking any boundaries. Uh, Friedrich Engels, um, in fact, he was a good friend and supporter of Karl Marx, but I found something that he said, which is quite, I believe, accurate, correct, wise. He said, freedom is a recognized necessity. Think about it. Freedom 
is a necessity. How can it be? And that is because as a society, we cannot live freely if we do not recognize certain necessities, if we don't recognize boundaries. If you are free to drive, and I am free to drive, and for both of us as green light, we'll have an accident. So we need, we have a necessity to recognize our boundaries. Uh, as another Friedrich, Friedrich Nietzsche said, the freedom of one person comes to an end where the freedom of another begins. So we need to create or recognize boundaries in order for the society to survive. We need them. The more God-given boundaries we destroy, the more we expose ourselves to the possibility of facing the abyss of totalitarianism. Because there is always a strong leader or a group who want to be God. That's why most totalitarian leaders, they're against God. Because then there is someone above them. Sounds crazy, huh? I found another, um, another interesting statement or poster on the internet. First, we overlook evil. Then we permit evil. Then we legalize evil. Then we promote evil. Then we celebrate evil. Then we persecute those who still call it evil. If the 74% remain silent, ladies and gentlemen, sooner or later, they will be forced not to remain silent, but to chant some leader's name, or they will be sent to re-education camps. Remember when Biden so-called won the presidency? Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez said, there should be an investigation of who were those who voted for Trump. This kind of people, when given power in Nazi Germany or the former USSR, send their, their enemies or the enemies of the state, they call them, to camps. You may think it's an exaggeration. I will tell you, it's not. In mid-20s, in the former Soviet Union, not too many, but some known people, politicians, writers, actors, spoke against censorship and lack of freedom. And in the mid-30s, they ended up in the gulag camps, over 20 million. In the beginning of 1930s in Germany, some objected to the spread of Nazism. In, in the late 30s, they ended up in concentration camps. Remember that what we call Nazi was a National Socialist Workers' Party. It started as a voice for the working class. Then they started censorship, censorship among their own members. Who said what? Was it in line with what the leaders said? Then they started rewriting history, then burning books. If it doesn't sound familiar, you have been asleep for the last 10 years. In mid-60s, some 
resisted Mao Zedong's innovations. And in the late 60s, most of those people ended up in re-education camps and died from starvation, like tens of millions of ordinary citizens of China. So, what do we do if it is all real? First, as Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote, live not by a lie. Do not say something is white if you know it's black. Live not by a lie. To refuse to participate in that which you know is untrue. And if you can, only if you can, speak up. Uh, well, <laughs> it's kind of a heavy show and hell I started with, sorry. But we're living in challenges, challenging, very challenging time. Uh, listen to those who experienced that socialist heaven promoted by Bernie Sanders and OAC and some multi-billionaires for whom this system seems to be more profitable. They think they will run the show with the leaders. They forgot the lessons of history. They will be destroyed one by one as the money runs out. As Margaret Thatcher said, socialism is, socialism is good till you run out of other people's money. Anyway, today I'm not even sure what I want to start with, what to share with you first. I have received emails, uh, I want to respond to them, and I have another show and tell for you, a much lighter one, I promise. And I have a few subjects to address. Uh, by the way, regarding the show and tell, at some point I thought, why am I calling this show and tell when this is a radio show? It's audio. I'm not showing anything. But then I realized that I indeed am showing. That is, anytime I tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, anytime I tell you something, I evoke, I call to your mind images. If I say, I read a book about elephants. Do you not, do you see a, a herd of cows? A quick image of a book and a quick image of elephants passes through your mind. And if I say soldiers were wearing gray uniforms, you do not see schoolgirls wearing blue shirt, uh, skirts. You see what I quote showed to you. The only difference between you watching what I show you on the screen and you hearing about what I want you to see is that some details are left to your imagination. So I will continue calling it show and tell. And of course, I, I went on this detour about seeing in your mind versus watching it on the screen because I'm so interested in talking to you about imagination and the power of it and how it affects your mind and your body. This, as you understand, my bread and butter, that's the main thing I do. I teach people how to use their mind to heal their body. Okay, 
here is what I found on the internet. It's kind of a joke. A man tells a rabbi, I have a problem. I have an obsession. I have a strong desire to live forever. What do I do? Get married, rabbi replies. The man says, and I will live forever. No, but the desire will disappear. So I found it very funny. <laughs> and actually, I told this joke. I was invited by my rabbi for Shabbat dinner. And I told this joke. <laughs> First, the rabbi and his wife laughed. And then they looked at, at me and said, wait, wait. You tell these jokes while we have a 22-year-old son. <laughs> that will scare him. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but honestly, we, we, it, that started catapulted us in talking about what makes the relationships work. Seriously, how does a couple keep a healthy, mutually respectful, loving relationship going? Uh, I will give you one tip today. And if you write to me and ask me to go more in depth on this subject, I will gladly do so. I think I mentioned one of the talks uh, periodically, very infrequently, uh, maybe once in four or five years, I teach a long course called Making Your Relationships Work. And I will gladly share with you many tools from the course. In fact, in some during some shows I already did. So for now, I will suggest this. Try it out and, <clears throat> excuse me, and I would love to get your feedback about it. Uh, institute a State of the Union address every Friday or every Saturday, whenever you want, when you, just before you go into the weekend. What is the State of the Union? The President of the United States once a year has a State of the Union. And what I suggest is that you institute a State of our union, it will make a commitment and try it, you know, for a month and see how it works. Make a commitment that just before you go into a week, the weekend, you and your partner sit in front of each other. You decide whether it's five minutes or 10 minutes. And you share with what has not been addressed during the week. That is grievances. But it's not for arguing, oh, but I thought, oh, but I didn't, what are you talking about? No. You listen, and then you say, thank you for sharing. That's it. You want to hear how the other person feels. And then it gives you an opportunity to make, you may say, oh, thank you for sharing uh, this and this. I cannot change, but I can change this. Like we can improve this. As long as you give hope to the other person that you're willing to look, to see things from their perspective, that already improves the relationship. Try it for a month and let me know. A while ago, uh, when I just decided to teach this course, Making Your Relationships Work, I did a survey asking men and women to write what they valued in the other sex the most. At that time, there was no such thing as, excuse me, as gender neutral. Uh, so I 
figured out through this survey, through hundreds of men and hundreds of women answering this questionnaire. I figured out what men wanted from women and what women wanted from men. And, and these were quite different things, uh, quite different desires. So I will tell you top three. What women need from men, number one, is that a man keeps his word. Some actually even wrote, a man's word must be a law. And if you think about it, in all times, it's all, you know, biologically, we, we are a species that are interested in survival. Most, most, uh, all, if all creatures are interested in that. So a woman is interested in protecting a child. So a woman would either choose a man who is strong, who knew how to use the sword, or spear, or a man who was wealthy, who could hire protection, provide means. But now we we don't, you know, we have police. Hopefully it will help us, but at least we believe that it would. So how does a woman uh, feel safe when she can trust a man, when she can rely on his word? So the second requirement requirement that the woman has from a man is that he has meaning. Isn't it interesting? Uh, men had no idea when I asked them what they thought women wanted from them. They, they never mentioned this either, um, honesty or search for meaning. So number two, that um, women feel that a man has to have something meaningful in his life, pursue some goal. And number three uh, is that women need to feel that a man is forgiven, forgiving. A man is willing to put up with some of their kind of craziness or idiosyncrasies. So a man is forgiving or accepting. And I think the way it comes from is because unlike men who don't have any excuse, women are vulnerable. Women are subject to moods depending on their menstrual cycle. That is biology. How it works? Very simple. Uh, I think Catherine Northrop, a wonderful physician, wrote a book yeah, I think that's in that book. Um, woman's body, woman's wisdom. And in that book, she wrote about this, about these moods that most women go through. And that is biologically, a woman, uh, a woman's need is to conceive. So after, after menstruation, her mood slowly begins to get, to, to get better and better and better and better. Till the time of ovulation, she's inspired, she's creative, she's bubbly, she's uh, loving, she's excited. But her body is saying, yes, 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 we'll conceive today, tomorrow. And then if she didn't conceive, slowly the mood is changing. And the closer she gets to menstruation, the louder this 
the voice of the body is saying, you have failed. And of course, that's when women, you know, report having premenstrual cramps, uh, depression, and so on. Uh, that's why many women, by the way, crave chocolate before menstruation. Of course, those women who tasted chocolate in their mind, in their life, because if they did not taste chocolate, uh, they wouldn't know to crave for it. But those who did unconsciously crave it because uh, chocolate is an antidepressant. Chocolate contains a lot of phosphorus. And you probably know where, where are the best horses in the United States, in Kentucky. Remember Kentucky Derby, right? Uh, and what's unique about Kentucky, what's unique about the grass in Kentucky? Those of you who grew up in America must know the grass is called the blue grass. Why is it blue? Because there is a lot of phosphorus. So the horses eat this grass full of phosphorus, become agile. So a woman craves chocolate to alleviate uh, her natural depression. So the three requirements that women have, I repeat, one is the man is honest, two, he pursues his goals, he has meaning in life, and three, that he's accepting and forgiving when she is not in a bad place. So what a man wants from a woman is quite different. Uh, it's all <laughs> about <laughs> about a man. A man is about himself, not like a, number two for a woman that a man has meaning, that because she needs to admire him, she needs to uh, feel that uh, that he's not wasting his life. But a man is all about himself. Number one for a man. Uh, is that he feels that he feels free. He needs not to be constricted. He needs a woman to allow him to go and, and, and not to ask him, why do you go? Where do you go? A man needs to be feel, to feel free, uh, which is interesting because most of the time, of course, it's assuming that it's a loving relationship, that a man loves his woman, when a man feels free, he will be happy to come back. Just like in old times, hunter-gatherers times, he would want to come and show show the game, show what he accomplished. The same thing in the relationship now, he will be happy to come bring the trophy. But he needs to feel free. And of course, if a woman keeps uh, guard and, and keeps questioning, that's when he will feel, start feeling that he is in jail and will want to run away. So the second thing a man needs is he needs to feel that a woman takes care of him. That a woman really cares about his well-being. So I always encourage, encourage women to do things for a man, not big things, you know, but like, let's say if he's going on a trip, pack his, help him or pack his suitcase if he, if he doesn't mind, or leave for him a little note, or give him a little bag with food. A man is a big baby, um, 
you know what they say. I, wait, wait, I can hope I can remember. What's the difference between men and boys? It's in the price of their toys. So, so a man needs to feel that he's taken care of. And third, a man needs to know that a woman prepares herself for him. What does it mean? Literally, physically, that she wants to be beautiful for him. Uh, look, if you, if the bell rings and you, um, you have an apron on you all in, in flower or you, you don't look good, you look disheveled and you see uh, through the, this little window, you see it's a mailman or some delivery person and your hair is all messy you will put your hair in order for a stranger. And yet your, yet your man that you love, you, you don't care. Some, some don't care. And so what happens uh, when people go out? Again, it's some, I'm not saying all, but many women perk themselves up, dress up, look beautiful. For who? for other men to look at them or for other women and appreciate them. What about at home? So you need to be beautiful for your man. You need to dress up for your man. And he will appreciate it. Uh, okay. Um, that's all about the relationships. Uh, the one more thing I wanted to share with you, this is actually also show and tell, but, but I'm so tempted to tell you, because I really had a wonderful experience. On Sunday, I watched an interview with Lucy Maharish, an Israeli Arab woman. She is a famous journalist in Israel, and an anchor woman on, the, on a major television station in Israel. First, I have to tell you, I just love the spontaneity, the, the, uh, the honesty. What a beautiful interview. Uh, just, I, I, I don't think that I've seen such uh, unscripted, spontaneous interviews where a person just was pouring her heart out or, or answering many questions somewhere painful. By the way, she's married to a very famous actor who played one of the central roles in the movie Fauder, F-A-U-D-A. If you like action movies, you will love it. It is on Netflix. Lucy's husband played one of the main characters um, in this special counterterrorism team. The interesting thing is as Lucy told us on this interview, that during his military service, that's exactly what her husband was doing in real life. And then he started playing it in the film. So go back to, let's go back to Lucy. During the interview, she told her story of how it was growing up in Israel, in a small town with all Jewish population and being an only Arab girl in the class the challenges she went through, struggles to find her own identity, 
her life and ideas about living as both an Israeli citizen and a proud Arab. And she's married to this Jewish actor, how she's raising her Arab slash Jewish child. Uh, she speaks about what happened on October 7th and a lot more. I'm telling you, it was one of the most spontaneous, sincere, courageous, intelligent interviews I've ever seen. If you are interested in watching the interview, please send me an email and I will gladly send you the link. You really, I, I, I think it's, the interview is like 50 minutes uh, and I did not miss a second. So I want to remind you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you have a question now as I talk uh, or a comment regarding something I'm talking during the show, please call at 888-874-4888. Again, 888-874-4888. If you want to make a comment or a question um, or, or make some request, uh, through email, you can email me at peter1818, resnik, R-E-Z-N-I-K, at gmail.com, peter18resnik at gmail.com. Uh, there is something else I wanted to share with you. Unfortunately, I'm a bit late with it. Uh, but as we say, it's a Russian saying, but probably in English they, they have the same. It's better later than never. Many Christian people uh, on February 14th began observing Lent in preparation for Easter. For those of you who are not familiar with the event, Lent is a Christian religious observance commemorating the 40 days of Jesus of Nazareth that he spent in a desert and endured temptation by Satan, Satan, according to the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So the, the period started from Wednesday, February 14th, through uh, Thursday, March 28th. We're almost at the end of the Lent. Um, it's a very interesting, I cannot say it's a holiday, it's a very interesting event. Um, just like some events, I told you, some events are universal. When we, um, I don't know, we didn't get to Exodus, but when we talk about Exodus and Passover is also coming up, yes, it's a holiday of a group of Hebrews, a large group, leaving Egypt, but also it's a universal, archetypal, symbolic story of our inner journey out of slavery. Because remember, to, to remain slaves, even though it was not so good, but Hebrews multiplied, uh, they had families, they were permitted to go back to their home. Uh, life was predictable, not good food, but food was there, not good conditions, but they were alive. And then this crazy guy comes and says, let's go to freedom. Where? There are scorpions, snakes, desert, no food, no water, and yet some people made the leap into uncertainty. Um, 
they had that dared, they went into inconvenience for the purpose of something greater than just filling their belly and being at home. So land speaks to the three vows. I believe they came, the original idea was, uh, came from St. Augustine. And I find them just like uh, Exodus, uh, the un universal, it's a gift to humanity that uh, Christians came up with, or St. Augustine came up with, the vows of obedience, chastity, and poverty, where people ask to give up something for 40 days. 40, of course, has the meaning of overcoming difficulties. 40 years Jews traveled through the desert, 40 days uh, Jesus was in the desert. So these three vows are found in many speech, spiritual paths. They're just spoken of differently. Um, the whole idea uh, is to detach from overemphasis on the material uh, and mental striving and turn to the spiritual and communal. No matter what our spiritual or religious orientation, we can each prepare for the advent of a spring, a time of new beginnings and transformations by ending uh, by, let's say, going into deep clean of the mind-heart uh, in our action. Uh, I want to read to you something, uh, and it's an excerpt uh, about the three vows from Dr. Gerald Epstein's upcoming book, you know, uh, which his wife Rachel is publishing, because Dr. Epstein I mentioned to you, died a couple of years ago. Uh, and he his book is soon to come out, and it's called We Are Not Meant to Die. I want you to appreciate this, his ideas about obedience, uh, chastity, and poverty. Obedience strengthens our relationship to the divine, forging and reinforcing our commitment to the alliance to give ear, to listen, and obey, are all synonymous with obedience. Oh, by the way, that's me talking. Uh, remember, uh, in Exodus it's written, if you give ear to my commandments and obey my statutes, and do what is right in my eyes, I will not send upon you the diseases that I send upon the Egyptians, for I am your God that heals you. Interesting. It's not written, I'm your God that governs you, or I'm your God that is all-powerful, a creator of the universe, but I'm your God that heals you. Indeed, I have a whole lecture called Ten Commandments and Healing. So God is a healer, and our well-being is connected with uh, adhering to these commandments, to to boundaries that God created for us. So uh, we can talk more about it. Okay. So with regard to the word spirit, 
it's uh, um, refers to turning one's ear or ears towards spiritual reality to hear its messages and pay attention to our place in the spiritual order. Again, spiritual order, not disorder. So whatever tradition you belong to, it is much healthier, much better for you if you practice rituals of your tradition. It's, a, it's rituals that have been practiced for thousands of years. They're refined. It's much, much, uh, much more sure way to get somewhere rather than experimentation on your own. And for sure, you don't need to do, avoid having shortcuts. Um, okay, I will not talk about shortcuts because I will get carried away. Now, chastity. Chastity represents faithfulness to one. Uh, it is, uh, it may be sobriety or the absence of intoxication, be it uh, sex, drugs, alcohol, money, uh, emotional outbursts, obsessive thoughts, or any addictive behavior. To be unchaste is to worship something else in place of God. Isn't it interesting? Chastity is your relationship with God and of course with its guidance, with its instruction. But the moment you make something else your God, this is unchaste, unchastity, then you have idols, you have something else before God. And I have seen a lot of people who are religious people, and then I tell them that they are idol worshippers. They me? Are you kidding? And I say, look what you do. You you destroying your body. Uh, you smoke three packs a day. So this impulse, the desire to be comfortable, because you now you are addicted to it. is more important than your relationship with God. And of course, that then begins an argument. A person says, no, I'm doing this, I'm doing charity, yes, yes, yes. And now I say, you're destroying your body. You're destroying God's creation. And the seventh commandment says, what? In English, it's trans translated as, they shall not commit adultery. But in truth, Seventh commandment in, in Hebrew uh, is lo tinaf. Tinaf literally means impurity. So if you smoke, we need oxygen. If you bring carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, uh, nicotine, cyanide, tar into your lungs, uh, you are not, you're committing adultery. Remember, if you buy a very good juice, it's written, a pure juice, it's written unadulterated juice, which means not mixed. You don't mix that which doesn't belong. Uh, so you don't bring poisons in your body. If you want to experience joy, you have everything, you have emotional uh, guidance, guidance system. 
If something is enjoyable, enjoy it. You don't need to have a drug to increase, to make joy greater. So don't make anything uh, your God, whether it's money or thoughts or substance. Uh, and finally, poverty. That's a very interesting subject. Poverty means detachment from material uh, and mental acquisition. The commandment uh, basically goes, or, or, or this uh, requirement, I should say, goes with 10th commandment, remember, not to covet, uh, not to, to curb your one's greed, to make room for sacred to enter. In order to have room for the sacred, you need to have space. But when you fill your space with desire, with excess goods, or too many ideas, you cannot, you cannot bring new ideas. You see, poverty of the mind is a very, very important and interesting idea. Uh, because if you if you go to hear a lecture, and you have certain ideas about the subject, you need to walk into this um, space, completely being open, having poverty of the mind, as if you don't know anything about it, being open to new idea, then you may discover that this is this is not an interesting idea, it doesn't hold water, does not prove to be uh, useful. But first, you have to be open and seek for what is good about what somebody is saying, not comparing with what you have, because then you cannot learn anything new. You know, Dr. Michael Schachter, the head of the Schachter Center for Complementary Medicine, where I worked for 15 years, had true poverty of the mind. He is one of the very few people in my life that I met that, that had it. Complete, totally, uh, total poverty of the mind. Meaning, I've seen this. If, if you say to him anything, some, let's say, uh, I, I, I'm making it up, but, but I think it would go to such degree. If I would say to him, oh, you, you know, I drink this ginger tea, but if you add to my, if I add to my ginger tea, uh, whatever, radish and sugar and and a pieces of dandelion that you find uh, on on your front yard, then it cures certain illness. He would not say, Peter, it's ridiculous. No, he first he would say, did you try it? And if I said yes. He would say, uh, okay, let me, let me go and experiment. He would never say something, and he, he was, he is a regular physician, a scientist, and yet he would never say, oh, oh no, from what I know, no. He never, never brought in what he knew. Rather, he would always experiment and be open. That's, that's true poverty of the mind. So. The, the vow of poverty is not necessarily being poor, 
but not being attached, whether it's to material uh, possession or to ideas. Anyway, the Lent is almost over, and of course, the way it's practiced in everyday life by Christians who observe Lent is they give up something for 40 days, which is one connecting uh, with the experience, as I said, that Jesus had in a, uh, because he fasted in a desert, but also practicing their will, practicing their commitment to be connected with the one who is the master, their master. Okay. Now we're 45 minutes into our talk. I have to decide what I want to go with you. Let me try to, oh, let me see if I can answer an email. Okay. Uh, let me see here. Oh, yeah, I had such, I received such a wonderful email. I, yes, okay. Doctor, dear Dr. Resnick, this is Alejandra. Look, <laughs> Spanish-speaking people like talking to me, and I love it. I'm so grateful to them. Ricardo, you know, the one who is writing to me from California, asking these good questions. Pablo called me during the show one time. Dolores wrote to me. And now Alejandra. Back to the email. Uh, so here, I. this is Alejandra. Once I came home from work early at 11.30. Uh -huh, she writes from California. And overheard my mother listening to you. You spoke about your daughter, who is 21 and studies in London. Then you spoke about a bunch of things which were interesting and some were over my head. But I think you are a smart guy. Thank you, Alejandra. So I want to ask you a question. And maybe you can speak about it on your show and help my mother to understand that I'm a grown woman. I'm 23. And even though we live together, comma, I never met my father, comma, she cannot keep, she cannot stop annoying me with her comments. Your skirt is too short. This is too much. This is too little. It's my body. I'm a grown up. I finished high school. I went to college for two years. I have a job. And she keeps treating me like a child. I don't think you, Dr. Resnick, are annoying your daughter like that. Otherwise, she would not talk to you every day. And you said you talk almost every day. Can you help me out, doctor? Thanks. Alejandra, we'll listen to your show this week. Alejandra, Alejandra, you cannot imagine how happy I am that you wrote to me. I feel like you are at the crossroads, and I really, really hope I can be helpful. I will tell you something. Uh, but, but I don't know you, Alejandra. I do not know how patient you are, how quickly you are to react at things, and whether or not uh, you will get offline, turn off your computer, if I say something you do not like, but please, please stay with me till the end of my answer to you. And if you want to listen to what I say later, 
you can go on prn.live, scroll down to click for schedule and do and go to uh, Tuesday, 2 p.m., Dr. Peter Resnick's toolbox. Uh, this show will be posted tomorrow. Though I do not know you, Alejandro, you shared with me a lot. You never met your father. Somehow you felt you needed to share it with it. It means your mother raised you alone. God willing, you will have your own children in the future. You will know how challenging it is raising children. Raising a child alone is extremely difficult. No matter how much or how little your mother managed to give you, Alejandro, you wrote to me this intelligent letter, email. You did grow up somehow without dropping out of school and you went to college. Do you think your mother contributed to this, to your success, to your efforts, at least a little bit? Let me share with you, Alejandro, an experience I had uh, with one of my clients in my New York office about maybe eight or 10 years ago. A young lady, 25 year old French exchange student came to see me in my New York office. She recently had some panic attacks and her mother who knew about me from a friend called me from Paris and made an appointment for her daughter. Let's call her Giselle. Uh, I don't want to disclose her real name. Giselle walked into my office. That was the first meeting and without saying hello, dropped into my chair in front of me and said in desperation, tous les hommes sont des cochons, which means in French, all men are pigs. And she leaned over, hugging her knees, like leaned over, you know, and was like almost shaking with anger. But leaned over, she was wearing this, it was summertime, wearing this blouse with deep cleavage. And I said, Giselle, what do you think I see? And she said, what do you see? And I said, I see your boobs. And the only thing I do not see is your nipples. And she said, how can you speak like that? You are a therapist and you're older than my father. And I said, yes, I'm a therapist, but I'm not blind. And yes, I'm probably older than your father, but I'm a man. And you are sitting inappropriately. Are you not aware of it? And you walking in this super short skirt, I almost can see your underwear. Just if you move a little bit, I will see all of you. And I said to her, I challenge you. And I know you may never come up here again. And forget about our meeting. Or you can try something I, I, I urge you to try. When you get uh, on the street, when you get home, next time you walk out, put your hair in order. Dress modestly. Because I believe those, and she told me the, the 
they were construction men. That's why she said all men are pigs. They were construction men that she was passing by, and they said, hey, baby, ta-ta-ta, go and do for me this and this. And I said to her, these men are probably good men, Alejandro. Giselle, uh, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, but they work very hard. They probably respect their wives and respect their daughters. But they need, they're simple men, and they need to relax. And they didn't choose anybody else but you. Why? Because you look like that. You're half naked. You're walking in the street. I'm telling you, if you lift your arms, people will see your, your underwear. Your, your skirt is so short. So it's written on your forehead. Screw me or look at me. That's all I am. I'm just meat for you to stare at. So I said to her, I challenge you, do this. And we changed the subject. Then we spoke about her panic attacks and so on. But guess what happened? She did show up the following week. Uh, and then she told me that she was very angry still, even though we had a nice talk and I taught her some breathing exercises to deal with panic attacks. She said she was she still didn't forgive me for being so rude. But she decided to put her hair in order and to wear mother, uh, mother's clothes just experimentally. And she said, you know what I discovered? It was actually boring. Nobody paid attention to me. And I said to her, Giselle, that's what the point is. You don't need to beg for attention from, from people saying these nasty things. If you want attention of a man of integrity, you first need to show that you have respect to yourself, that you're not just a piece of meat so somebody would stare and drool, but respect your intelligence. For that, you need to cover your body. And, you know, you have to leave something to imagination. Uh, anyway, I, my, my quote therapy, I, I saw her maybe seven or eight times, her panic attacks disappeared. Um, and again, they came, the, we realized that they were coming from tremendous judgment that she was she had on uh, people and on herself, and she put pressure on herself. But uh, the, uh, the reason I'm telling you, Alejandro, this story is because um, your mother may be right. I'm sorry. She may believe there is more to you, Alejandro, than your legs and your butt that you're showing off. She may, just may, think that you are an intelligent young woman and she wants you to attract a different kind of a man. A man who will be interested in Alejandra, in her thoughts, in her intelligence, rather than her body. But when you dress not modestly, all you're saying is, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at my body, as if there is nothing else there. Experiment, Alejandra, and you will see for yourself. Anyway, thank you again, Alejandra, for writing. And um, I, I realize now we, I have only four minutes left or three minutes left. Um, 
Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you were interested in what I had to share with you today. Uh, I did not even get to answer another email that I have, two, two more emails. And, uh, oh, God, yes. Uh, but I will do it next week. If, uh, if you have any questions regarding anything I said today, you're welcome to write to me, or if you have comments. If you want me to address any issue, health issue, uh, I will be happy to do this. In fact, now I think I mentioned to you that I'm teaching a course for professionals who are learning to do my work, and that is mind-body integrative healing. And I ask my students, one of the doctors, to bring their, their patient with whom they have difficulties and so the patient doesn't need to pay. So that's the benefit for them. And the benefit, um, and the benefit for my students is that they, my students have a chance to observe uh, how I address the problem. So uh, the reason I'm mentioning it is uh, if you, again, uh, you're welcome to call during the show and come out, share with some problem life situation, emotional or physical challenge that you are dealing with, I will gladly work with you online. But again, I can do it only one time during the show. Uh, or you can just send me uh, an email and ask me to address some issue. And of course, I will not be able to, to know uh, possible all possible ways to address it, because for that I need to ask you questions. Uh, but still I will give general uh, guidelines how to deal with the issue, and then you still can call in and ask more questions during the show. Um, anyway, uh, I want to thank you all for being with me today. I'm looking forward to having your attention next Tuesday at 2 o'clock. Uh, be happy, and peace to all who want to live in peace.